Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's normal, right, to have that fear of like, I don't want to tell my child they have to have a shot. Like, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to scare them. And that's the first thing I want parents to know is like that gut reaction you have of not wanting your child to be scared is very normal. Um, What we don't want, though, is for our child to either have a mistrust because we're not telling them about what's happening or two to kind of set this trajectory ahead of time that, you know, we're not going to be honest about something scary that's going to happen in their life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pete's Doc Talk podcast. This podcast continues to grow because of you and your reviews, and I am continuously blown away by the amazing guests that we get to educate and empower you. So thank you for tuning in, leaving your reviews, and being here today. Today's guest is Katie Taylor. She is a certified child life specialist, CEO of Child Life on Call, and the host of the Child Life on Call podcast, and we are talking all about how to prepare our children for medical procedures and how to explain these things to them. Thank you so much for joining me today, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan and so excited to share some helpful tips that hopefully parents can walk away today just feeling more confident in talking to their kids about medical things. The reason I'm so excited about this is that I don't think many parents know what a child life specialist does. And we'll go over that because you're going to explain (laughs) that to my listeners, but I know because I went through residency and that is when I first got introduced to child life specialists. And I think they hold a extremely valuable place. I cannot tell you, I have tons of stories of how child life specialists have really helped my job as a pediatrician. So I'm so grateful that people can learn about what you do, realize that it is a role in a medical care of a child. So first off, tell me what it is that a child life specialist does and why you became one. Yeah. Thank you so much. It always means so much when pediatricians and physicians like yourself can pinpoint those interactions with child life specialists and just validate uh, the important work of the profession, because not many people do know what we are. So we are basically psychosocial experts in child development. And so we know the impact of illness, hospitalization, injury, challenging life events on children throughout the lifespan. We typically work in children's hospitals. So that's why uh, a lot of residents and clinicians know and use us there, but we're also in the community now doing Mm -hmm. virtual work. Some of us work in hospice. We even have child life specialists in some school districts now. So our profession just continues to grow as we really see how transferable our skills are in working with kids. Awesome. And why did you become a child life specialist? 
Yeah. So I have this amazing mother who drilled into us from the very beginning of our life that we were put on this planet to make the world a better place. And she not only said that, but she showed us that um, she's a big child advocate in um, child abuse prevention. So just kind of watching her and seeing how passionate she was about her work uh, really kind of ingrained that in me. And I'm a Penn Stater um, and they have a big dance marathon that raises money for Hershey Medical Center. Mm. And it was when I was volunteering in college that I met a child life specialist and I said, you, you, you're it. That's everything I had in my head that I want. Um, So I really fell into it that way and um, have really been blessed with an amazing career, both clinically and now uh, non-clinically being able to work for child life on call. So I've worked in big children's hospitals and also really small children's hospitals um, within the community. So I've been able to see how empowering parents and caregivers really can make such a difference in the caregiver's role within the care team. And like you said, my experience with child life specialists is really was something that happened in residency. You mentioned that, that that is how a lot of pediatricians come to learn about child life specialists. And this is obviously not what we're talking about, but I think one of the best stories I have is we had a lot of teenagers or young children coming in with functional abdominal pain. So functional abdominal pain for anyone who's not familiar is abdominal pain that does not have an organic cause. Like it's not anything medical that we can find. We've done all the workup, all the things we've excluded everything. And a lot of it has to do with a psychosocial component. So anxiety can manifest as functional abdominal pain. The child is functioning, but they have this abdominal pain that comes and goes. So we really utilized our child life specialists very heavily in these situations when these patients were admitted Um, whether it's a parental choice to be admitted or we're doing a workup. And so many child life specialists who would come through really helped the parent understand like the big picture. It's almost like you're therapist, but you're not, you're obviously not Mm -hmm. a therapist, but just the overall mind, body, spirit of a child is what I really appreciate that. Hey, we're coming to really just understand and help you. They would bring like this whole essential oil kit that basically would have like lavender scents that they would be able to smell whenever they're feeling nervous or anxious about their pain. And it really solidified why I went to DO school because I went to DO school because of this whole, how we look at things as a whole, but I also saw that in practice with all the people like the child life specialists. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I need to have a child life specialist on my podcast because (laughs) yes, you do so much more than what I just mentioned. But that to me was like, yeah, we need this. We need the families to understand how we're going to approach the situation that we care about your child's pain, that there's things that we can consider um, to help alleviate that nerves and discomfort. And then in this conversation, how to prepare children for medical procedures vaccines, surgeries, you know, they're going into the OR, like these conversations are so important. And yes, it's going to need a little more nuance based on each situation and the temperament of your child. But again, such an important conversation to have today. Sure. And I think you bring up such an important part about like looking at the family system and the child as a whole, and it really does take a whole village to really Mm -hmm. care for a child. And For me, I'm really passionate about parents really being at the center of that and letting them know they do have control and they can really make a positive impact, especially when you're thrown into an experience where you don't know anybody who's taking care of your child. You've never met them before. Maybe it's a pediatrician you've seen once before, Um, but you know, how do you advocate for yourself? How do you advocate for your child when you feel so overwhelmed and not to mention concerned and scared? And so just really being able to look at that whole family and teach parents how to make a difference right then and right there. Absolutely. And for this conversation, I obviously wanted to ask maybe, you know, how we can prepare our kiddos for these things. And if there is an example of 
maybe a common medical procedure that you would love to bring up as the topic? And then maybe we can discuss how, you know, a parent can prepare that child depending on the age. Is there something that you would say, you're like, I commonly do this, or I commonly have to prepare a child for X, Y, and Z? Yeah, absolutely. So I think probably the most common thing we can talk about are either vaccinations or an IV, and both are pretty similar, an IV or mm-hmm. a blood draw, um, which would happen in a hospital or in a clinic setting, of course. But that vaccination, that poke, it's really yeah, normal for, yeah, mm-hmm. it's normal, right, to have that fear of like, I don't want to tell my child they have to have a shot. Like, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to scare them. And that's the first thing I want parents to know is like that gut reaction you have of not wanting your child to be scared is very normal. Normal. Yeah. Um, what we don't want though, is for our child to either have a mistrust because we're not telling them about what's happening or two to kind of set this trajectory ahead of time that, you know, we're not going to be honest about something scary mm-hmm. that's going to happen in their life. So once we can kind of get over that initial normal fear of not wanting to tell them scary or uncomfortable information and realizing why it's important to do so in a really caring and comforting way it completely gives you your power back. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about pokes and vaccinations. So I can give you an example. I have a three-year-old myself and also an almost seven-year-old. So we have been dealing with the COVID vaccine um, and having to get two of those, right? Which is not as normal as the one vaccine. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Artube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code pedsdoc that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c So the first thing we do is you really want to look at the age of your child. So 
kiddos as young as nine months can really benefit from preparation. And I'll give you an Mm -hmm. example of that. Like when I'm in the hospital and a child's about to go back to surgery, even if they're nine months old, I give them the anesthesia mask to play with. They chew on it. We throw it on the ground. We catch bubbles with it. We're taking this ordinarily scary unknown thing and we're turning it into something fun. So I'm not necessarily expecting a nine month old to 18 month old to really understand what's about to happen, but I am getting them familiar with something. So that's what I would say when you are doing medical play, getting that doctor kit out, saying the word stethoscope, saying the word alcohol wipe, you're desensitizing these very not normal things and you're bringing it and integrating it into a way that is both child-friendly and digestible for them, not when they're in a moment of chronic stress. Well, thank you so much for bringing up the being truthful or not threatening um, would be another thing that I would add. Um, That's some things that I see commonly in my office, right? The threat of a doctor or a dentist or someone who's going to be helping a child that if you don't behave, then I'm going to give you a shot. Or if you don't do this, then the doctor's going to give you a shot. Do you want a shot? Do you want to like using it as a threat already creates a sort of, this is a bad thing. And I'm going to do this because I'm in trouble. Um, And then that last comment you mentioned about the being truthful, like I commonly see parents say, and I think they mean, well, don't get me wrong. They'll say, it's not going to hurt, but I don't love that because it Mm. may hurt. Like it may hurt. And I don't want us to say that it's not going to hurt. And then it did hurt. And then they're like, well, you lied to me, right? Like exactly what you said. And when parents, when kids ask me, like they'll say, doctor, like doctor, I have to do a shot. Is it going to hurt? And I'm honest. And I say, sweetie, it may pinch a little bit and we are going to be right here with you. Mommy is right here or whoever's with, with the child and that you get a big hug afterwards. But I think you're going to be so brave, but I think it's such an important concept of being truthful and also not scaring a child or threatening them with these vaccines um, because then that just loses trust in the medical system. And then we're at a loss. You know, we look like the bad guy. We look like the person that they go to to get punished when that's not what we want. We don't want children to feel punished when they come to the doctor. They've been going to the doctors for their health, not for their discipline, if you will. Oh, totally. Yeah. I have heard this more times than I can count. And so, you know, if you have said something like this before, you're not alone and now we can learn from it. So I think the way you responded was perfect. So like being honest, yes, you know what? It might pinch a little bit. I like giving it back to the child and say, will you tell me what you think it feels like? I want to know what it feels like to you and kind of giving them the chance to make up their own words and their own opinions about what it's going to be like. And also pulling from past experiences. Well, have you had a shot before? And what was that like? You know, what was a hard part about Mm -hmm. that? What was the easy part? You know, one of the things I like about shots is they're over really fast. You know, the needle goes inside, we push medicine in, the needle comes out, a bandit goes on and I'm done. So, you know, you can share your experiences and you can prepare them. Everything I said was honest, but I'm also not like, we're going to poke you with the needle and it's going to suck, you know? So there's kind of this way that we can use language to be honest, but not scare the child. And I love the language um, that you just mentioned. Is there something that may help besides that? I mean, things like role play or what are some other strategies besides the language of the words that we use? Of course. Yeah. So as we get into like that toddler preschool age, Mm -hmm. um, their world is very egocentric. So whatever kind of choice and control, I'm sure parents at home know, like 
if you ask your child to do something, they want to know what's in it for them, especially at this age. So how can we get them involved with what's happening? So can you help pick out mm-hmm. the band-aid that we're going to use? Do you want us to look at your right yeah. arm first or your left arm first? Do you want to sit in mommy's lap or do you want to sit on the bed? Do you want the blanket on the blanket off? So all of yeah. these things are choices that empower kids and make them feel like they're a part of the situation rather than feeling like something is being done to them. And I think the more we can have a preparation that includes those those choices ahead of time, the more prepared you are when you go in. So if you, the parent, are at home first, say, hey, this is the way it's going to go. We're going to go sit in the waiting room. We'll have to check in. We're going to go see the doctor. The sequence of events and preparing them. And then part of that preparation is also, well, where do you think you're going to want to sit? What mm-hmm. do you want to hold your lovey or do you want to keep your lovey on the chair? Do you want to read a book while we do it? So integrating that kind of coping skill that they've chosen into preparation can do a lot for making kids feel like they have a choice and it's more collaborative. Oh, so important. And the give control tip. I mean, that is just toddler 101, but I think <laughs> yeah. parents, parents forget how useful that tip is in so many different situations. And I also feel, and I've learned this through my training and I would say my experience, I shouldn't say training because as you start to become a pediatrician more and more, you learn the power of giving a child control in the exam. So I've always done this, but I, I hope people who are listening, who may be a clinician, who's dealing with a child, who's more sensitive to the stuff. I always allow the option of where they sit for the exam. I always actually prefer a parent to hold a younger child. Um, especially in their lap. I just think it works better than automatically putting them on the table. Some children by their own volition will want to go on the table, but I say, Hey, do we want to examine in with you or on the table, which can really help. Um, But also as the child gets older, giving them control. This is so helpful. And I think parents understand that this needs to happen, but I feel like when they hear it, like you've just explained, it can really just give them some more peace and saying, yeah, we are going to get through this. It is going to be over. Like you said, it's hard. I get it. Like, it's not hard seeing our kids uncomfortable or in pain, quote unquote, like all these things, but it is something that essentially needs to happen or these vaccines, these surgeries, whatever it may be. So I think normalizing that, Hey, this is going to happen that we can be very calm with our presence as well. Absolutely. And another part I want to add just a little bit about that preschool age is that's when they really start into getting into magical thinking and it's hard Mm. to delineate are mermaids real or are they not real? princesses and superheroes. And so one of the techniques I like for that preschool age, so about three to five and a half or six years old is really getting them to tell you what they understand so far. So right when we're in the hospital, the technique is called teach back. So what have you told them and what do they understand? What do they retain? When you start that out with a child that's a preschool age, you can kind of start to understand their misconceptions. So something being like, Hey, have you ever had a shot before? And you may be very surprised about the story that they tell you (laughs) about having a shot. Either they haven't before, they saw it on Daniel Tiger, but that just gives Mm -hmm. you kind of a foundation for starting the conversation and either saying, that's exactly right. Or saying, this is the way that I think it's going to happen tomorrow. And just, you know, Mm -hmm. understanding where they're coming from. One quick example I'll give you is I was preparing a child for an appendectomy. So getting their appendix out with a laparoscopic surgery. And so we were going through the preparation and this child was very engaged. I let kids lead the conversation a lot. And so he wanted to know a lot of the details, right? And so I'm not using words like 
cut and, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But I am saying the doctor is going to make an opening. They're going to use a special camera to look inside. And then I asked the question, what do you think the doctor is going to use to take out your appendix? And he said, probably his Jedi laser. Oh. So, <laughs> you know, it's, he's building yeah. on from mm -hmm. his experience and integrating it. Luckily that's, you know, not a very threatening thing to him, right? Like mm -hmm. that is kind of fun to think about. And I just, I said, oh my gosh, that would be cool. I have not seen the doctor's Jedi laser, but he does have a special tool that's just for taking appendixes out. And that did it just fine. That was the perfect yeah. answer that he needed, but it's really understanding, you know, that he's not looking for Jedi lasers when we go into the OR. Oh, I love that. And again, like you said, building on the child's imagination. And I really appreciate you, Katie, for going by like age, right? You could do that very beautifully on like, here's what we do for like that young baby versus that toddler versus that preschool child based on their development and how they view the world, because that is important, right? We obviously can't have the toddler do all this imaginative stuff. I mean, there's probably right. a little bit of that there, but this is so helpful. So thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad it's helpful. So this is all preparation. So maybe some more discussion on a child who has become so afraid of shots, um, vaccines. Okay. Like mm -hmm. they have never had a child life specialist. They've never had someone speak to them like you are. Um, how would we maybe start to get them more comfortable? What are some things that, cause I've seen this, I mean, I've seen them. It's heartbreaking. I mean, in my yeah. office, like them cornered in the room, crying tears. And I do believe that the medical community has a little bit of a, I'm not going to, I hate using this word, but a little bit of a fault to play because we kind of have to get things done. So mm -hmm. the staff sometimes is not as sensitive as you are. Um, I'm going to be very honest. And I hear that from parents that it's kind of rushed or that they just have to pin them down and do it. But what would you say for that family, what they can do maybe beforehand during the visit, what maybe we could do as clinicians? I think this is a great conversation to really help that child who's become so afraid of needles to get to the doctor's office, do the visit and then leave. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's such a good question. Um, and you know, there's no kind of right track of steps mm -hmm. to take that's going to work every time, but I think applying this preparation part, especially if your child is old enough to talk with you, yeah, you can say something like, Hey, last time I was talking to the doctor, they mentioned that in the next few months, we're going to have to get a shot. When mm -hmm. is the best time for me to tell you? Do you want me to tell yeah. you right before we go in? Do you want to talk about it the day before and let yeah. them have some say in when it's going to happen next? When you're in those situations, and this is what happens in medicine, things do have to get done. There are so many patients to see. We wish yeah. we could take all the time in the world, but that's just not possible. So what can we do right now to make it better? Those choices that we mentioned before can make a big deal. I think having the parent play a role, like you said, in comfort positioning. So yeah. I can send you some information about comfort positioning to share, but it's basically where the child is not being restrained by any kind of device, but it's actually the parent who is holding the child. Um, distraction works really well. So I don't have any tablet or iPad rolls in the hospital. So we watch as many shows as we need to, to get through something implementing a coping skill, like your job is to take a deep breath on the count of three and being as specific as possible, or look in my eyes and count to five with me. The other thing I do verbalize is, you know, you have a lot of choices. Do you want to count? Do you want to watch a show? This shot is not a choice. And so we have to have this shot happen before we leave the room today. And we really need your help to do it. 
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. The other thing I say is sometimes kids are restrained. They do have to be held down. We do have to get it done. What we want to see after that is how fast does a child recover? Do Mm -hmm. they get back to themselves? Are they able to play right after? Can we take a moment to de-stress? Can we get the clinicians out of the room so they just have the parent bond? Mm -hmm. So we can do things after because we know those things will continue to happen for as long as shots are given. They're not fun. How fast can we recover? How fast can we get them back to their selves? And that's really what we look at as well. And thank you so much for normalizing that, that sometimes we have had to do that, like even in the most sensitive situations, you know, and I'm so glad you said that, that it doesn't mean that we have to get it done. Like you said, right. Like using the vaccine as an example, and, you know, we can't give medicines to sedate them in an outpatient setting, like a surgical procedure and things like that, right. It's a vaccine. It has to happen. You know, I know there are things like the little buzzy, like the buzzy bee thing to like help kind of as a distracting tool, there's all these different tools and tricks that people use, but in the end of the day, it is a reality that we are preparing them. We understand that they may be okay, that there is going to be the possibility of some holding, restraining, using those words in a non-scary way. And I love what you said about the moment that happens before and after, especially that moment after. I mean, I tell my parents all the time, the ones of the children who are more scared, I'm like, look, I know he's scared or she's scared. We are going to do this and you are going to get time with your child afterwards to give them a big hug, reassure them, please don't forget the power of the after discussion, the aftermath of what happens when your child goes through something that is traumatic to them, right? I don't look at vaccines as traumatic, but of course, to a child who's scared of them, it's traumatic, right? right? Like, of course. And it doesn't mean that that's going to cause them lifelong trauma where they, you know, won't ever overcome it. But it is a reality that we have to accept that something that may not be traumatic for me or a parent 
obviously a child who's fearful. This is something scary for them. And I'm big on the after conversation. Like if it's the child's old enough or even a two-year-old, like I, you know, with Ryan, if he cried even a little bit at a vaccine, I would say, Hey, you had a little bit of a pinch. Did that hurt? Yes, mommy. Oh, Mm -hmm. you were so brave after when you got your bandaid. Yes, mommy. I brave like, you know, and it really helps build up that, Hey, this was something not so fun. That's fine. But you did it. And I'm so proud of you that you actually got through it. And that I really, really value you saying that, that sometimes it needs to happen. That doesn't mean that your child is going to be traumatized per se, where it's going to be a lifelong thing um, at all. Like, it just means that it also matters how we approach it afterwards, whether that's the, you know, most likely the parent who's talking to them, explaining to them, you know, really positive reinforcement of like, you did great. I'm really proud of you for showing up here today. Like, I really feel like that helps. Even if they screamed and cried, I'm like, they came, they came and they did it like awesome. (laughs) I think you're right. It's like pointing out those, no matter how small those positive things Mm -hmm. that happened, like you kept your arm still, you were screaming. I heard you so loud, but your arm was so still. Mm -hmm. That was the stillest I've ever seen your arm, you know, really Mm -hmm. focusing on those parts. Like you said, that after conversation. And like I said, you may be surprised as well about what kids remember from what actually happened. And so you're just getting more information from your child, learning more about how they process things. Did they remember crying a lot? Or did they say it was fine? I got a lollipop, you know? So you may be surprised about what they recollect from that experience as well. Oh, I love it. These are such great tips. I am just so grateful. And I think this is going to be really helpful for so many. Is there anything else that you'd want to add that could be very helpful for a parent or maybe something that you see parents commonly do that maybe they would like to watch for, like, you know, maybe try to work on not doing this kind of things, anything like that? Yeah, I would say um, it's very normal. I see this all the time where parents come in and we have to do an IV or a blood draw and they say, I have horrible veins. You know, he's probably going to have horrible veins. Mm. And so we're setting up kind of this Mm. idea that things are not going to go well right away. And I think kind of checking in with yourself that your child's experience and what you have been through is very real and you might have terrible veins. This is an incredibly different experience with different nursing different circumstances. And so saying comments about what you've been through out loud can cause maybe more problems for your child anticipating that to happen for them when it's not necessarily the case. So it's that check-in that we have to do as parents and saying like, am I projecting? How can I, you know, focus on the here and now and at a later time, you know, maybe think about what I've been through with someone else, but there's not really a need to put that out there you know, I'm sure it's coming from a place of fear that you don't want your child to have to go through what you have, but just kind of keeping those thoughts quiet. You never want to your child to be the one consoling you, Yeah, (laughs) you know? So, um, you know, just watch for those little nuances that you may not even realize that you're saying. Yeah. I love that. I mean, for me, I have been on both sides. I mean, as a child, my first memory is, um, having to get stitches on my forehead. I tripped and fell when I was five years old. I remember it. I vividly remember it. And a lot of children's first memories can commonly be very emotional ones, right? That's how memory kind of works. Um, And I remember, but what I will always remember, and I always tell the story to a lot of families is that I had to get stitches on my forehead. They took me to my mom's work. My mom used to work at a doctor's office and my mom was there. And the entire time, even though inside, I'm sure she was so sad because it's not easy watching your child get stitches and crying. Like I'm crying, right? Like I, they numb my forehead, but I'm awake. I can see the doctor vividly. I have memories. I can see the hands, 
twisting and moving and stitching yes. up my forehead. And I remember looking to my left and my mom just sat there really just so calm and just looked at me and said, it's going to be okay. We're going to go home and you're going to be fine. And I do like to drive home the power of a parent in this situation in all things that we do. Our kids, like you said, are going to be scared and we have to be the stronger one. And it's an unfortunate reality, but it's true. We have to, in these situations of extreme trauma for them, like things that are like not so happy for them, we have to muster up whatever we can. And if it means getting the help of another caregiver who may have not have a needle phobia, or maybe someone who may be able to go with the child, but really looking inside ourselves as adults and saying, look, I have insecurities with this situation, like you said, with the blood draw or my veins, that I want to be as calm as possible, as present as possible. It's okay if it makes you upset. It's okay if you cry. It's okay if all those things happen, but it really, that energy vibe really helps. Like the kid is still maybe going to cry. They're still not going to love it, but they're going to look at you. Like I did. And I looked at my mom and I always remember her. And I like, I remember that situation. It's actually where my love of medicine came from when I got injured and someone helped me. I was like, Oh, I want to be a doctor so I can help kids. And, um, it's just such a powerful moment to be able to see, wow, my mommy was okay. When I was being, when I was vulnerable and we talked about it after, right. She got me an right. ice cream. Like we went home and she's like, do you, what bandaid do you want? Exactly what you said. And those things hold a lot of power. And so my message is if you are struggling with any of that, and I know how hard it is. My son has gone through three EEGs, MRIs, like all of it. And it is extremely hard as a mother to watch your child go through those things. But I also know that they're going to be fine. And that this, there's a purpose to this as a, in the medical realm, right? Like EEGs were horrible because it's, he has to sit still. How can a mm, toddler so hard. sit still? <laughs> yes. But, you know, we did what we could. We watched a lot of screen time. Like you said, we utilized all of that, utilized all my resources. And then I just was there with him. I cuddled with him. I told him exactly what was happening and he was younger, but I think even just the narration and telling helped me, sure. you know, just to kind of get uh -huh. through it. So these tips are just so fantastic, Katie, and such an important conversation because there are millions of children out there who have fear of needles, have fear of doctors, have fear of surgeries, and they turn into adults who have those same fears. Right. Right. And I Absolutely. want us to really create a culture where it's okay to have fear, but I don't want it to be something that you can't ever step foot into a doctor's office again, that you can't ever overcome this fear and that we never tapped into this. Like we never tapped into how we can help you so that maybe you can walk through that door and do whatever you need to do and walk out and feel like I did this. Like, and that's such an empowering feeling when a child does get there. And I've seen it. I'm sure you see it all the time, how beautiful it is when a child finally overcomes that fear and has that bravery and is like, I did it. I did it. I'm yeah. so proud of myself. That's an amazing moment for any child and parent to see. It's a reason that child life specialists go into this is I that love transformation. And oh. yeah, I feel just incredibly lucky. And just to echo your point of parents being calm and validating, you know, mm -hmm. just, if you can remember two things when you're in these situations, be as calm as you can take breaks when you need to, and just yes. validate your child's experience. Uh, that take breaks when you need to like that. Absolutely. Because some things are just so heavy that you just want to take that, take that breather and come back. And Katie, I'm just so grateful for you, your presence, your energy. No wonder you're a child life specialist. I can <laughs> see why you went into this field. And it's such an honor speaking to you, not only because of your information and just obviously your guidance, taking in mind the entire child and the parenting dynamic. I think it's so important that we approach situations like this. Where can people find you, your resources, your podcast, everything? I'm going to leave all of this in my show notes for everybody. But if you can just share with everyone how they can find you. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's really easy. It's just child life on call. And we actually have a mobile app, which is being deployed to hospitals to help expand child life services, a podcast. And then we also offer virtual services. So if you want to talk with a child life specialist, maybe some talk through some of these things before Mm -hmm. your next appointment or surgery with your child, we're happy to do that. Thank you so much. I'll be attaching all of those resources on my show notes. And again, thank you so much, Katie. And for all of you, if you love this episode, make sure you leave a review and a rating. Call Katie out on all of her amazing information. It would mean so much to us. And make sure to share it on social media, tag us in your stories on Instagram so that we can share this love and this information with so many other parents. Thank you again, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, TV. We'll talk to you soon. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.